0: Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it.
1: Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping amazing, A, demystifying cybersecurity for people, and then helping leaders hire amazing talent. And it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We are going live every day for the month of October. So we are on day 11 right now. It's October 11th. And I am super excited to have my guest here today, Ozzy A, and she's going to pronounce her own name because she gave me a little <laughs> a little, uh, tutorial and I failed. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't,
2: it doesn't matter how long you do this tutorial, you probably are not going to get it. And I'm very
1: sorry. So she, so funny story. I invited Ozzy to come on and she said, you know, I said, what's your full name? And she told me her full name. She emailed me and I said, okay. You know, and she said, "You know, I'm from Nigeria, and it's difficult to pronounce." And I said, "I'm honorary Niger. My best <laughs> friends are from Nigeria. <laughs> My best friends are from Nigeria. <laughs> it's true. My two best friends are from Nigeria, or their families from Nigeria." Um, and I was like, "I got this down." And then we get on the we get on the pre call for the podcast, the podcast. No, you don't. Yeah, she she just she shut me down. So, Ozzy, um. A couple of different things about Ozzy. Ozzy is um, pretty awesome. You know, broke into the industry a few years ago. Was an international student here in the U.S. Um, so bringing that layer of difficulty with trying to break in, which I know I hear a lot of that from um, people who are trying to break into the industry and they're in other countries and they want to know like how difficult it is, or they may be here in the United States, uh, but on student visas or you know work visas and things like that. So. Ozzy, jump right in. Talk to me about, first of all, pronounce your name for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then talk to us about um, about your journey breaking into um, security. And you could start with the hundreds of applications that you put in while you Oh were- my God, hundreds. Uh, well, 250
2: for LinkedIn alone, last time I checked. And this is not including- Um, Zip Recruiter, um, Glassdoor, Indeed. You know, I mean, I'm trying to be conservative here. It could be easily 400 plus of applications across all of the job boards I ever used, you know. And I know people who have done even more, you know. And this was over a period of five to six months, you know, sending out those applications. You know, it could be way more than that because I know there were days when I would sit at my laptop and, you know, churn out the applications. 20 per day, sometimes 30 per day, depending on how, many, how much time I had. You know, and this was in my last semester of school. So along with projects and everything else going on, it was basically a lot of work. Honestly, it was, yeah, but I'm glad. I mean, in the end, all you need is one yes, right? And I was very, very opportune to find that. And that's here I am right now. So how did this all start? Um, I'm gonna go the long route. Because I assume we have, like, some time, you know. So um, back to kid me, me as a kid, I've always been curious about stuff, you know. I'm just like, I look at this strange thing. I'm like, okay, so how does this work, you know. And it always results in me breaking up stuff, you know. Like, I was that person who my mom's family, adults who come around. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a shiny new stuff you have there. Can I look at it? Like, yeah, sure, have it I'm like, oh my God, I think it's broken, you can have it back now, so I was that person, okay, so naturally, my curiosity led me to computers when we had the first computer in our house, so I would spend a lot of time on playing games, just playing around like I was just fascinated by the whole thing, you know, so I, I the time came for me to go to college and naturally was like okay so i really like computers i'm curious about this thing i want to learn more about this so what degree will help me get that my first thought was computer science and of course i am a dependent my parents are paying for my tuition they're the ones who get to make the final decision anyway so i'm like yay mom i want to do computer science and she's like wait what no you can't do that i don't want to spend all that money on you and then you're going to end up like this guy down the street who owns a cyber cafe he's a freaking loser No. So I'm like, okay, fine. What is the next thing? Maybe I can do computer engineering, right? She's like, nah, your brother got that one. You're good. You you should find something else. You know, then. What your parents want you to do? Well, they, well, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. She wanted me to be a doctor. And after everything, now I asked her, I'm like, okay, so what do you think would have happened if I became a doctor? Because I feel like I'm that kind of person who I'm in surgery and then they open up someone's body. I'm like, oh my God, is that a human heart? Oh my God, I think he's dead now. (laughs) I'm that kind of person. So I'm like, the medical industry is thanking you for not pushing me down that route, honestly. (laughs) So I, I wasn't allowed to do computer engineering. Then I'm like, okay, so electrical engineering sounds good, right? My dad says, no, that is for men only. It's not for ladies. I'm like, okay so i settled on chemical engineering eventually spent five years of my life that i will never get back you know so come while i was in school then i i just i just i used to hang out with my friends in computer science in electrical engineering because i was just fascinated about this whole thing i wanted to get to know you know what is this computer thing i just wanted to understand what it was about you know so i would tag along with them as a way of living by currency through them they're, they're talking stuff like hey man did you write that python script i'm like yo man yeah i'm writing scripts too i'm with the guys you know so i just wanted to belong in some kind of way you know i just wanted to but i knew i knew i somehow i couldn't do that so somewhere before before i finished school i told myself okay i think i will have to go back to school and somewhere somehow finally go in for an IT-related course that would get me back on track because I felt all of that time I was wasting away. I felt like there was so much I could have learned that I wanted to, but I just couldn't for because I settled for chemical engineering. So straight out of school, you know, did a mandatory um, one-year service in my country. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is for cultural integration. So they send you to another part of the country that you do not come from, where you do not live in, So you stay there and just do community service, help people, teach people, and all of that. Mm -hmm. Did that for a year, and then the time came, all right, I'm out of this. I need a job. So I was unable to find a job in chemical engineering, which was disappointing because I was hoping to give that a second chance. Instead, I landed a job at a bank as a salesperson, no less. And believe me when I tell you, that was the worst work stint of my life. I found out within a few months, sales just wasn't for me. You know, because it looked like it looked more like corporate begging than sales, and I was hugely disappointed.
1: What you were know. you selling?
2: Well, I was working at a bank, so it's basically get customers to open accounts with us, and the customers you already have get them to put in more money. But the market is very tough, very competitive. You know, it's basically if you have a good value offering that the customer would be like, oh, okay, sure, I, I want to join you. But it was kind of tough, very tough to find anyone, you know. And this is coupled with other on the work, you know, worries and concerns because you had every couple of months, there would be a management performance review where you could work in as an employee. And if your manager really doesn't like you, you're going to get out and you're going to lose your job yeah. just like that. So I was very fortunate to be blessed with a manager. Her name is Ngozi Aruma you know very very wonderful person she's very experienced in the banking industry so she kind of saw my struggles and she used her influence used her power to pull accounts into my name so when the time came for the sales figures to be collected she would pull accounts into my name so it would look like i had grown so basically she sustained me throughout the time i was there until i decided i had to leave so I spoke with hr i want to get into the it department they like well, no, we can't get you into IT, but there is this other department looking for people, which was e-banking operations, the, the group that specializes in card transactions, basically. So I joined them, you know, that was where I really had that time and freedom to really play around with computers. Like every now and then I would look at um the devices running on my system, the processes, the drivers. I'm like, oh, so what does this do? Or sometimes there would be issues with my computer, and I would troubleshoot them myself before the IT guy ever came in. You know, so it was just one of those things. It was my way of keeping my dream alive, my vision alive. You know, so while I was working there, I think 2016, 2017, there was the not Petia attack mm-hmm. that hit ravaged, ravaged lots of hospitals in the UK. And then the central bank, that's the governing body of um, banking regulations, banking um, transactions in Nigeria. They sent a letter to every bank saying, you guys need to be careful. This attack is going on and we could be victims. So just giving instructions and all of that. So I saw that around that time, I was researching schools where I would like to, you know, go for a master's degree, maybe in IT technology or something that could get me into IT. So at that time, I already had admission with, um, I think, Georgia State University for computer and information systems. And then the, the more I learned about this cry thing, I researched about it, I'm like, what does this ransomware thing do? From there, was like, oh, ransomware is a part of threats. I'm like, okay, so what is threats? And it's like, cybersecurity. I'm like, oh, wow, this looks like a fantastic field. So what is cybersecurity? Oh, you have blue team stuff. You do this. I'm like, this looks very, very interesting. I think I want to venture into this field. You know, it just had like so many things you could, you could literally get lost in it, you know, so. I, I told the school, like, okay, I want to do cybersecurity. Like, well, we do not have cybersecurity as a standalone major, but as a concentration within CIS. I'm like, okay, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. But I eventually got here. Then I switched to another school to study cybersecurity proper. And I would say, I would say that that was one of the, the best decisions I ever made in my life. I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed all of the courses because we touched almost every area a good curriculum could touch you know, I just kind of cemented in my mind that yes, you know, this is where I need to be. This is where I wanted to be. So my last semester time came like, okay, so I should be looking at getting a full-time job now. So I should start putting out applications. Then the struggle began, you know. So one of the struggles I went through was, you know, international students will also, you know, identify with me on this. When you see the dreaded question that says, Will you now or in the future require sponsorship to continue working in the U.S.? And I'm like, do I say yes? Do I say no? Because something tells me that if I say yes, they will reject me. Something tells me that if I say no, they might accept me. But then when they find out, they might kick me out. So it's a dilemma. And I went through that a lot. So it was one of the things that got me down because... A lot of times you are not sure. Are you rejected because you are not a fit? Or are you rejected because they don't even want to touch you because of your status as an international student? Mm-hmm. You know? So it was it was, it was, was a tough time, you know, but I, I kept going. I kept going. And anytime I was down, I had friends around me I would talk to and they would be like, oh, no, you know what, keep going, keep going. You know, just do your best. There's someone that's going to reach out to you. And it was like, I described that time as, you know, being a traveler, you know. Who has run out of supplies, and you're knocking from door to door in a town, hoping that someone will look at you and be like, "Hey, man, you look hungry, you look tired. Come in, I'm gonna give you." And I finally got that break in 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 January through um, Tony Wells. Tony Wells, she's a fantastic person, by the way. You should meet her. You know. So she reached out to me. I I and at this time, I had already I was in a mood where I was like I'd given up. I was tired, so I was basically winging it. I just saw this posting somewhere. I'm like, ah, I can probably do fifty percent of this. You know what? It's whatever. They'll probably reject me. Then I applied. She reached out to me the next day, and she's like, "Hey, I just saw your profile. Your profile looks good." I'm like, huh, ah, If she says so, okay. You know. Then a couple of weeks after, she says, "Are you still open? Would like to interview you." You know. So did the interview, and within. Within two weeks of my first interview, got an offer for my first role in InfoSec. And that was the first offer I had ever gotten after more than 500 applications. Wow. You know, so it's intense. It's, it's crazy. But in the end, all you need is a single yes, you know. So it just persist and keep on going. Persist, keep on going, persist, keep on going, you know. So one of the things that helped me during that time, you know, I think it was in the month of December when I was really down. I mean, everybody else is happy around me. I'm like, yay, I just graduated school. I'm happy, but I have 60 days to find a job. If I don't find a job, I am in trouble. So that was an additional pressure that I had on me. So I was very sad one day. I was was going through LinkedIn and then um, Katoria Henry put up a post about getting a new role, and she just got out of school. Like, oh wow, congratulations! You know, I'm so happy for you. I feel so I'm sad right now for jobs and all of that. And then she just encourages me. She's like, "Yo, yo, yo! Don't slow down. Keep going," and all of that. You know. So, Katoria Henry, very wonderful person. I would say she was she was one of those people who lifted me. Who she was she was one of those people who actually shone a light on my dark situation at that time, you know, by giving me encouragement and all of that. She's like, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to connect with other people. She connected me with Katia Dean and that's how I expanded my network. I got you in, you know, added lots of other people, you know, it was like, it was like a breath of fresh air. Finally, I was dying at some points and she coming into, you know, my life and, inspiring me, encouraging me, advising me, just kind of opened up a whole new, you know, a whole new thing for me. It made me feel energized all over again. And then shortly after that, I got the call from the recruiter Tony Wells and yeah, got my interview. So that's how I ended up with my first role in InfoSec.
1: What a journey. Uh Patrick Moten says Wonderful when you said all you need is that one yes. And we put that up there. And he's, I mean, what a journey. He says here, what a journey. Um, Someone else says, I just missed who made these comments. um, Says great persistence. This is Robo. Oh, yeah. Robo LB. Great persistence and determination. And that is absolutely. Absolutely true. Roland Rolanda Jackson says awesome. Yeah. Um, I heard I mean your story is so inspirational to me and you're so right. Katoria, I mean there's so many things to unpack in your in your in your story, but Katoria Henry is you know she was on here uh, yeah. two weeks ago or so almost two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Her story is just phenomenal and to be able to give that inspiration um, to you, And um, be a beacon of hope for you is it's so it's so needed in this space. And, you know, the reason why I have you on and I had her on and everyone that's coming to really talk about their journey, because it is difficult um, to break in. But then you're in, you know, there's so much support around trying to get people who want in in. Um, and we are doing everything that we can to make sure that happened and demystify what's going on. Because what I appreciate and what I really, really like about your story is that a couple different things, you know, you talk about, you talk about your parents um, and, you know, I know Nigerian parents, that's why I said, what <laughs> I have heard about Nigeria parents, um, <laughs> doctor, lawyer, like that's
2: it. Yeah, um, doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, <laughs> pharmacist, any like,
1: see in my, case, in my case, in my case, well, five
2: of us, right, I'm the second. So she pegged my brother to be an engineer, pegged me to be a doctor, my sister after me, pegged her to be a lawyer. Then <laughs> the next one, pharmacist, and the other one, um, like some kind of business guy or something.
1: We are all doing
2: something different now.
1: <laughs> so funny. So funny. I think parents that, like, you know, like and I think I think we get this a lot with immigrant parents as, as a whole, you know. Um, my parents are from the Caribbean and it was very much, you know, trying to a hard science, math, like, you know, like something. That is um, more technical, uh, but Nigerian parents, in particular, it's just so so funny because almost every <laughs> friend that I have, it's either, yeah, my one of my best friends is a pharmacist. Um, my other really really another best friend of mine, he's a, you know deep in technology now, getting his PhD. But yes, yeah, very much you know, it's either it's a handful of things and that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I hear that from a lot of Indian Americans too, and just people. You oh, know, yeah. So. Um, that's pretty funny. And then going to school, getting a chemical engineering degree. But so I'm I'm curious about the one thing that you said was about your dad saying that electrical engineering was more for men. I was, I'm just, I was just curious about that because chemical engineering, like, so they were okay with the, you know, the doctor, the chemical engineering, all that other stuff, but electrical engineering, he said, no, that's a more of a guy's field. Well,
2: I think he, he was coming from the perspective of him being an electrical engineer himself. Oh, uh, okay. So he's a marine electrical engineer. He works on cargo ships. So basically the electrical stuff you probably do for buildings, he does it on a ship. So I think his perspective was limited to that. And so he's like, oh, man, if you're going to be an electrical engineer, you probably work on a ship. You're lifting loads. You're doing this. You're going to be climbing ladders and stuff. Nope, not for girls, no.
1: Gotcha gotcha so that was the perspective okay cool yeah. and then so again so you're a chemical engineer and i just want to let everyone know that joined later i'm on with ozzy a she's a security engineer security engineer or security analyst security engineer engineer at macy's um, um uh, just i mean it's such an inspiring story so um and got into the field what two and a half years ago um 2019 last year so one year, one and a half year, not two years yet, but so over one. Two years yet,
2: yeah. I, I, did, I did my master's degree in, I started in 2017, I graduated in
1: 2018.
2: Okay. Then I got my first role early 2019.
1: 2019. Right, yeah. so less than two years in the field, um, was working in Nigeria, in a bank, <laughs> selling <laughs> financial products, which is awesome, chemical engineering background, then transitioned, came over to the U.S. um, to go to school to get her master's in security or the master's in in, um, information systems and then transferred over to a a security-based master's Um, and is now, you know, is talking about her journey. And one of the things, Ozzy, that you talked about that you touched on just now was the application part. uh, Actually, there's a number of things. First and foremost, the application process within on a dish in addition to just the hardcore nature of trying to break in as an as a um you know as a college grad right the international student part and mm-hmm. I can imagine. I've never been in this position, but I hear because I've recruited a number of people who either have OPT visas or F one or H one B and you know the various visas T, TM. But that's mostly Canada and stuff, so that's relatively used to be relatively easy. I don't know what it's like now. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking to people who have had you know visas and the fr- the very first question, like you said on that application, says, "Will you now or ever need sponsorship?" And it's such a you know, for, for international students, that's such a tough question because mm-hmm. you have some, you know, you on the one hand, you don't want, you want, to, you don't want to waste your time. Not, you don't really know if a company will, can sponsor you, will or is willing to sponsor you. There's so many, you know, there's so many pieces to the puzzle when it comes to that. Um, and from, you know, giving my experience of being on the inside of companies who have sponsored, some have sponsored, some have not, some, it depends on the role. So for certain positions and certain departments, you can sponsor. So it's really such a case by case situation. Um, so, you know, how did you feel? You, you said that that was really frustrating and you didn't know and you, you so I, I definitely wanted to, to dig into that. And if there's any advice that you would give other international students, because I get this one so often around yeah. that visa, check in the box, because you're right. If you check yes, then we invite you in for an interview but the company cannot um sponsor you it's just a complete waste of time for everybody oh yeah
2: and i know that because i actually did i did that and it happened (laughs) just as i said it would so it was it was i think it was if it was a fintech company based in chicago you know so i applied first you know at first i'm like Hey, I don't want to lie. I just want to let you know. Ah, by the way, that doesn't mean that I have lied in all of my previous ap- applications afterwards. Okay, but this is how I started. I started innocently. I'm like, okay, so this is how I am. So I just need to let you all know this is how I am. So I filled everything out. The dreaded question came up. I said yes, and as soon as I did that, I got the rejection in a few hours. You know, then I'm like, what? Like, in my mind, I think I was fully convinced in my mind that it wasn't because I didn't meet the requirements that I was rejected, and I wanted to test that. So I filled in another application using another email. This time, I unchecked, I checked no. And the next day, I got an invite for an assessment, you know. So I went for, did the assessment, I think I passed. Then I was invited for an in-person interview, you know. I don't know what came off of that, but... During the interview, and there are interviews like this where you talk with everybody, you feel like, oh man, I think I vibe with everybody. I'm gonna get this job. And the next day, boom, you're rejected. You know. So those ones, those are those are the shittiest interviews ever. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that was a similar one with this company, okay? Because it looked like maybe after in spite of everything that happened in the interview, they're like, Oh. I don't know. I don't think... I, I feel like she she's not a citizen and we don't want that kind of problem. So we should probably kick her out. Now, I don't know exactly why, but I do know that after the interview, a couple of days after, I got a rejection and I just had to assume that it was because of that because there was no other reason. You know, there was no other reason. I didn't. I didn't, you know, flop on the interview. I wasn't blubbering. Like I said, I answered all the questions. They gave it to me. I gave it back to them and all of that stuff. You know, so I just had to assume that that was the reason why. And someone on LinkedIn, I think he's in the UK, actually tested this out where he submitted his resume with an English sounding name. You know, before then he had been applying for multiple jobs, you know, so but he wasn't getting any calls back. But he, when he changed his name to an English sounding name, oh my God, the calls came pouring in. So he did a video of that and he's like, yeah, guys, what do you think about this? So that's another thing that could be going on. So where they look at your name and are like, does it sound so American? I don't think we want to do this and that sort of thing, you know? And of course there's your background in the resume. So they just put two and two together and decide, okay, we don't want to do this. So yeah, I know, I know, I know that was, I know that happens for you because I tested it and I can say, yes, it definitely does happen.
1: Yeah. So you were, you were testing the system and I want to, I want to share with you a little bit about, behind the scenes of what happens specifically with um international students um you know when it comes to visas so typically what happens so there's there's two pieces to that that i want to unpack the first is the um the sponsorship so every company doesn't or can't sponsor um folks that are international um, it is very expensive to sponsor people what have usually the larger companies have a more robust system for doing this yeah. um, they have you know immigration attorneys they have departments and some companies I've worked with they, where you have a whole department you have a department where somebody's just working on you know bringing in people that are international um, and they'll tell you like what visas are are we can we can move forward with you know depending on which roles and as a recruiter, and as someone inside of HR, you know we get briefed, or we partner with these um, with these specialists. It's usually like an immigration specialist or an immigration attorney. Um, mm-hmm. If the if the, if the organization doesn't have like some kind of immigration attorney on the inside, they usually have or an immigration like department or specialist on the inside. They'll have someone that's like a retained counsel, and mm-hmm. so. I'll give you a a really good example. Last year, I worked with this one company, um, a fintech company, and they did not have that person, that expertise on the inside. So I was uh, uh, supporting them as a consultant on the inside, and they partnered me up with their immigration attorney. And if a question came by, you know, because every role is, it's very case by case it's like it's very, very nuanced and detailed. So I would say to them, this person has this type of visa, this is the expiration date, this is this, this is that are they can they move forward in the process? Because we knew that yes, they did sponsor, but that didn't mean they could sponsor every single person for every single role. It's very, very, very case by case. Mm -hmm. So Sometimes what happens is, you know, people obviously are eager because you want to stay in the country. You know, you want to stay in the country. You're here. All yeah. of stuff. you want an opportunity. And so what happens is think what you just did, which is you checked. Yes. Everything else you come in, everything looks good. And then when they do the real, they realize, like, we can't bring this person on. Like for whatever reasons, either that role isn't eligible or they can't. Fund it, or you know, they don't have even an immigration department or anything to be able to do stuff like that, or you know, counsel things like that. So I don't know which company it was, but usually the larger ones have a pretty robust process and can tell you straight up if they can or can't. And then the smaller ones usually can't do it because it's just nuanced very very nuanced yeah. um the second piece of what you talked about is the unconscious bias and even potentially conscious bias and yes there have been studies that people see names and they're like you know oh if it's you know Amy versus you know Tamika or you know an international sounding name or like a name that's not a quote-unquote American sounding or It's definitely something that we want to um you know make people aware of. I think a lot of the things that come up in terms of biases, unconscious, uh, a lot of it is unconscious, you know, like you just see things and you're just moving along and you automatically make assumptions um and raising that up and and the folks mostly in the HR will try to do like different types of trainings, like make a make people aware, like hey, this is what's happening. You know, you see a you see a different name. Where I I remember um, reading an article about a leader telling someone completely like change their name, like a whole different name or something. Or no, it was in a university where the person and I believe the person was from China and they didn't want to call them by that name. They gave them a different name, and all that kind of stuff. So. So yes, that kind of stuff does definitely does happen. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate, um, but it, it has in in, in different yeah. industries. So okay. a couple, co- go ahead, Ozzy, and then I'm going to take some comments.
2: Yeah, for, well, for me, in my own case, it was like, okay, so this is a STEM major, actually, which means that I have a year of work authorization, which can be extended to two years, which means I have three years. So a lot of times it's like, I just want a way in. I just want that chance. Okay. You don't have to sponsor me now. You don't have to try to sponsor me now. However, how will I get that experience if I don't get that chance? You know, so a lot of it was just give me the chance. Okay. I don't care if you're going to sponsor me, just give me the chance. I just want to work. I just want to be here. I just want to make something of my life. So that was what it was, you know, for me. And I'm sure it's like that for so many people, because it's like, even if you're going to try to sponsor me, You have at least three, you know, three chances to do that. You know, so why would you look at me and decide you're an international student? We don't even want to touch it. Like, don't even bother. I understand in the case of smaller companies who do not have a robust system of handling immigration cases. But I mean, bigger companies definitely have all of that in place. However, if you can, it's like you have three chances to do this. So... Any other reason other than this person is not qualified, it just comes down to this person is an exotic sounding, the names is exotic sounding, they're international students. And so we probably don't want to touch that, you know, but they will never tell you, you know, I guess it's illegal to say, cause that would mean that we are admitting because you're in a special class, we didn't give you this job and, you know, litigation and all of that, I don't know.
1: So I, um, I want to give my, only my experience because um, i don't know i've never worked in every single company so i definitely want to make i want to make sure that i get my from my personal experience because i um, and i and i you know the the whole world has biases right yeah. but when it comes to experience and I, you know i've been doing this for a very very long time my experience has been it's either it typically is more from a business um a business standpoint, like what, whatever the business, it's very kind of, it's not individualized per se, it's based on the role in the company. So mm-hmm. if a position is slated that yes, we can bring in international students, we can bring in either OPT students or people on different visas, so non-US citizens or non-US permanent residents, it's position by position, versus individual if that makes sense so if I'm so imagine if you're sitting in and, and we are you know I'm the I'm the person going through applicants for a role um, it's really like okay I know of the 20 positions so thinking you know and I went through, I went over this yesterday a little bit with HR so these are some good this is a, a really good topic because and I'm not the expert in it I've been kind of I've done a lot of IT recruiting over the years, so it definitely comes up. It came up in a, I just filled a role probably very recently and it was a question that came up like can, can I recruit people who have visas? Will you sponsor, you know? And it's very, very case by case versus individual. So I know on the individual side, it may look like, oh, it's against me as a person, but typically yeah. it's against a role. So it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, for this, I'm going to pick a role. For this architect role where we need this level of, you know, we have this particular role. Yes, we can hire. um, And, you know, the people typically have, let's say, for example, I want to hire for a cloud architect. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that cloud architect has... Um, 10 years of experience, you know, for the role, the role, this is is the position, this is not an individual. The position says they got to have cloud experience, they need 10 years, they need this, they need that, they need a bachelor's, whatever it is, whatever the qualifications are. I will go to my immigration specialist and say, is this role eligible for me to bring in people who have visas? And the immigration specialist will say yes or no. (laughs) <laughs> you know, So then I can proceed and say, okay, now that these, if she says yes, or he says yes, and I can proceed by bringing in, you know, looking at applicants that have, that have checked the box that said, I will need sponsorship. Um, I can bring those people in. But if she told me no then I can't bring, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be getting into a, like it's, it's a waste of everyone's time if I'm talking to the immigration person. The immigration person says, I can't do anything with this because they are the specialists in the space. Yeah. So I just want you to be aware, and I want people to be aware, that it's a lot, um, it's, it's, it tends to be very, very nuanced um, when it comes to these roles from my experience. Um, working on a number of roles. I've worked on a number of, I've done IT recruiting for a long time. Um, And then also outside of IT, some um, some of the sciences, some of the finance positions, like quant analysts, like very nuanced, there's certain nuanced positions where almost always they're like, yes, we will, you know, we'll sponsor for this one. But I could have like 20 positions and they'll sponsor one and not sponsor the other 19. It's a very, very nuanced and very, very case by case. So I just want to make you aware of that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. That was
2: very insightful. You know, it also comes down to the whole thing of um, even if you are rejected, there is a tendency to take it personally. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, it's me. There's something wrong with me. But a lot of times it's not personal. You know, it could be in some cases, it may not be in other cases, but there's no way you can know. But the easiest way for you to move on is to look at it as. It's probably a business reason. It's not personal, you know. So, on to the next one, pretty
1: much. I, I agree with that 100%. Ozzy, I mean, one of the things that I used to tell people all the time is that um, there's so many pieces to interviewing and so many pieces to job hunting. Um, and there's so many layers going on behind the scenes that people have no idea about. So you have internal candidates, you have people's family and friends that they wanna bring in, you have like so many pieces to the puzzle. So when you drop in there and you happen to get this interview and you are one of, I don't know, half a dozen people or 10 people that they interview and they tell you, you know, you didn't get it because they gave it to an internal candidate or they may not tell you anything at all, which is kind of unfortunate. so then people are, like, standing in the dark, like, why didn't I get this job? Like, I went to all these interviews. I didn't get anything. But mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of the time it has to do with just all types of factors that are completely out of your control that has absolutely nothing to do with you as an individual. Yeah. So, you know, what I tell people, I try to tell, I try to bring this up very, very often, especially when people get discouraged and and I, I, tell, I tell them, look at it like a game and, um, I think it was Jason Blanchard that was on, and he t- kind of talked about that too. Like it's a job hunt. Like a- imagine, you know, you're out there, you're hunting, you're getting, you're looking for something and almost look at it like a little bit of a game. Like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to put my all in, but I am not going to take a lot of this stuff personally because A, is draining, B, 99% of the time it's not, it's not really personal. Oh, yeah. You know, you know how many people I want to get jobs and like I push and push and put and I'm like, this person's awesome, this person's awesome. And you know, for whatever reason, like the person doesn't get that slot. Now, what tends to happen though, if you really impress the team, they'll come around six months later and say, Hey, Ozzy, there's this other spot. No, you know, you might not be available or what have you, but there's a position. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's all types of things going on in the background that can especially now in the middle of COVID, like I've been working on positions that are frozen, you know, one minute they're interviewing about to go to an offer. And then it's like, Oh, we didn't get the contract or it's frozen and all different types of things happening. But I can't divulge all of that information to the candidate. Unfortunately, all I can say is we thought you were awesome. You're, you know, you're, you're, at the top of the list for when this reopens or, you know, but right now we have like these business implications and unfortunately the worst thing to do actually is to bring you on or bring a person on and then got to let them go in like six weeks. Like that's even worse, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be in a situation. Yeah. Okay. So goodness, we had 39 minutes (laughs) and I knew this was going to go long. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. couple of, couple of comments here. Uh, Let's see. couple of comments. Rolanda says, I'm so proud of you. Stellar, Thank you. View, stellar views. Hi, Ozzy. And then I want to know do you have any advice for students trying to break into cybersecurity right out of college?
2: Mm, all right, all right, all right. So, advice for students trying to break into cybersecurity right out of college. So, first of all, um, you need to show some kind of initiative, right? So there is something I usually do, actually, is a um, Kirsten Breger, she put up this blog about you know different domains into cybersecurity. security. share that with anyone that asks me that question. So you need to figure out where do my skills lie, or maybe if you're like me, who has always been very curious, you want to be in a in a domain of InfoSec that actually allows your curiosity to run haywire. Because that's the only thing that will give you fulfillment. So that's one way to find, you need to find one or two areas or domains that you want to focus your interest in, then when you do that, you can go out and look for learning materials on YouTube. You can reach out to people on Twitter, ask them questions, you know, because we understand how hard it is to get in. We understand how broken the hiring is right now. So there's lots of people who are in here. You know, it might look like we're helpless because we can't necessarily say, hey, you need a job? go on, take it, you know, we can't. But what we can do is provide support. We can tell you this is what is going on in the field. This is what you need to know. So that way, when you get an interview, you're interviewed for a role, You're able to say right up, like, I've been, you know, I mean, I don't have a job yet, but this is what I've been doing on my own time. I have a VM set up, you know, I have lots of VM set up. I do this. I keep up with InfoSec News and all of that stuff just to show that you have some sort of initiative. So that's the first thing I would suggest you do as a student, you know, out of college trying to break into cybersecurity, take some initiative, try to figure out what it is that you would like to do, which domains you want to focus on. Then once you do that, that's the easiest part. Then you go and, you know, ask questions. You can chat up any random person, you know, like, hey, what do you think I need to do? What do you think I need to do? We can point you to resources. One thing you don't want, one thing you should not expect from anyone is for for people to spoon feed you and tell you, hey, do this, do that. No. We will just will probably just point you to resources that align with whatever interests you have. You know, you're not going to be spoon-fed because if you expect that, you'll be very disappointed. And even if you have someone who spoon feeds you, when you get into the field and realize that you have to do a lot of research on your own, you have to do a lot of things by yourself without anyone telling you you are going to be lost. You know, so that's the first thing, you know. And if you have cyber meetups in your school that's a very good thing, you know, you want to join them, talk to your professors, professors who maybe have a few, who are in, who are knowledgeable about the field, you know. Another thing you can do is participate in CTFs. Oh my God, CTFs. While I was in school, one of my professors introduced me to National Cyber League CTF, you know. I will say that, um, I mean, in spite of all of the things I learned in school, it. doing that CTF two, three times in a row enabled me to learn about a lot of tools in cybersecurity, a lot of the domains, you know, actually sharpened my skills. So do CTFs. So I think three things I've said. Figure out what areas you want to major in. Then reach out to professors, people in your network or whatever. Ask them questions about these things. Gather as much resources as you can. Learn, set up VMs or whatever you need to do to learn more about this subject domain you've chosen and then do CTFs. it helps a lot it's like it takes you right and it tells you to solve this you need to use this tool then all of a sudden you're learning about a new tool and then you find out that this tool is also useful in many other situations so those are the three basic things and while you're applying for jobs i might sound like a broken record but persist persist if you need encouragement reach out to someone talk to somebody because it can be hard okay so reach out to someone, ask for help, ask for encouragement, ask for anything. When I have people reaching out to me, I, at times I feel very helpless, you know, because I can't hand you a job. I don't have that to give. However, what I have to give is my experience. I can encourage you, inspire you. And if you think your problem is you don't know what job descriptions to look out for when you're applying for jobs, people who are in the field will be able to tell you that, okay, these are the ones you apply for. So what I do sometimes is... um what I do sometimes is I would look for job applications myself and send them out and say, this is what you should be looking for. I would even take time out of my day to send you multiple job applications because it's very tough. I know what I know what I went through and it breaks my heart when I see other people doing that. So I try to go out of my way to help as much as I can. Yes, I said CTFs, CTFs, capture the
1: flag competitions. So that's what I said. Capture the flag. That's yeah. what it means. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's such good advice, um, Ozzy. I think that people are unaware of the level of um, knowledge that can be gained by doing those competitions. Yeah. So, the capture the flag competition is very, very, very important. Um, and then also a couple of points that you made about being in, being a part of. If you're in the university, joining the clubs, you know, making sure you're. Um, you know, connecting with the professors, so because it's all about networking. It's all about the network. And what happens is, employers will go to those clubs and pick. They want they want the leaders, so they'll go and reach out to the president of the cybersecurity club, and you know, pluck that person for the internship. Look for that person to like tell them, "Hey, I want you to apply," um, yeah. because they know that that person is like very very active in mm-hmm. the in the in the field, and then they know that this person is going to be a leader. Um, yeah. Or is already a leader, student leader. So Shaw says um, Shaw Briggs had another question here, and Shaw, I am actually right in the middle of doing research on this right this second. I this morning I downloaded some information around uh, salaries. So Shaw says, how much do cybersecurity jobs with clearances versus non-clearances p- pay, and is there a difference? Um, Shaw, I would answer that by saying that it's it's Typically case by case, Um, I literally this morning, like four hours ago, downloaded and up um, a new compensation, um, some compensation details from clearance jobs. So clearance jobs has some comp details and I am literally looking at it right here and it talks about how top secret uh, candidates on average, they're talking about the the changes in... um, compensation. And this is the Washington DC metro area I'm looking at, but they have them for multiple major cities. They have them for, um, what do they have going on here? I literally just pulled this up. They have them for Washington DC, um, North Carolina, Texas, Virginia, Colorado, Florida. So multiple states in the U.S. Um, and then the various clearances. And so the one that I have pulled up right here just happens to be the Washington DC metro one. And it talks about, like, for example, um, the, uh, average, I believe, um, compensation for a top secret, you know, security analyst. And I don't know that, I don't know how much experience you need or what have you, but this is like one number they put in and it's $104,000, which is the 2020 compensation. And if you have a top secret with clear with an SCI, it goes up to about 118,000. So in comparison to, um, the private sector, it's, it's interesting because um, the private sector tends to pay more, um, but it's so case by case, and it's a little bit nuanced. So depending on the types of roles, you can come in a little bit, um, a little bit more on the private sector versus like typical government sector stuff. But it's it's really case by case. And if you have, if you don't have a clearance, it's very very difficult to get clearances. So that's it. I mean, it's a, a whole different um, a whole different conversation around clearances. Do you know anything? Well, um, Ozzy, you're an international student, and most of the time, to have a U.S. clearance, you have to be a U.S. citizen.
2: So. Yeah, I don't even touch any of yeah. those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually got to be a U.S. citizen for that. Um, Clarence Vereen says very informative. I think it's when I talked about the H-1B stuff. But uh, thank you, Clarence, and um, Ozzy's experience too. And then exhaust uh, I believe is the name, it says Bravo, inspiring about Ozzy's experience. Um, Ozzy, before we get to this other question, um, I want you to talk about your experience getting into um, with all those resumes. So you had, you told me upwards of probably 400 applications that you yeah. put in over the course of like six or so months, five months trying to break in. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like?
2: <laughs> well, for me, it was a game of numbers, and I got varying advice from different people who are like, "Hey, tailor your resume to certain rules." I'm like, "Ain't nobody got that time,"
1: <laughs> you know.
2: So, for me, it was a game of numbers. Okay, I would fine tune. I would fine tune my applications depending on you know. I, just, I was looking for a way and and Katia does a very, like this is, this is way up in her alley. Like she finds a way to connect your previous work experience with what you're trying to do in security. She's very good at that. You know, so that was one advice that she gave me that stuck with me. So I would modify my resume. I would look at it and be like, okay, so if I were a recruiter, would I look on my own past experience the way I have written it and see a connection to this cybersecurity thing I was trying to do. So I didn't have, I, I, I wasn't that person who had like a folder of multiple resumes saying, resume Amazon, resume Google, resume. No, it was the one resume for every single one because I was, I, I had no idea just how wide this field was. Everything I'm saying now, I, I only say it because this is knowledge I got after getting into the field, before I got into the field, I didn't know any of this. And that's the reason why I like to help people who are trying to break in and let them know that, hey, this is what it looks like in here. So you're better advised on the outside how to get in. So it's it's, I had no idea how wide the field was. All I knew was, I know this tool, I know this tool, I know this tool, I know this tool. I took these courses in school. I'm passionate about security. I really want to do this. And I just dumped everything in my resume. So it was Basically, me leaving the work up to whoever was looking at my resume to figure out, okay, based on what you've written, you might be a good fit here. You know, but for me, all I wanted to do was to churn out those numbers, like send those resumes out 20, 30, 50 per day. You know, as soon as I graduated school, it became like a full-time job for me. Like I'll wake up in the morning, hey, good morning, everyone. Have breakfast. I'm at my computer sending out resumes, sending out applications, you know. So for me, it was impractical to have to tailor my resume for each job, role Because if you're like me sending out 20 applications per day, you're going to have 20 times 5, 100 different resumes. That is a lot of work. You know, so I didn't, all I did in my resume was to draw a link between my past experience with what I wanted to do, then show how everything I had learned would be useful in this thing I'm trying to do, my tools, my knowledge, and everything, the CTS I had done. I just tried to put it in that security positive light, you know, and and this is why I really appreciate my, my manager. He was a hiring manager, actually, for when I interviewed at my company, Chris Matheson, very awesome guy. So... We, during the interview, it was more like a discussion rather than, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? And that makes you feel like you don't even know anything. Do you even deserve to be here? It was more like a discussion, you know? It was able to, I was able to talk about the things that, you know, that drove me, like my passion and everything, you know? And then at the end of it, it was like, well, from what I see, it looks like you're just trying to get your foot in the door. I'm like, yes, somebody freaking gets it, finally you know and he saw that relief on my face and i am I, very very grateful he he was i would say he was that one traveler that opened up the door and is like oh man you look tired and hungry come in we'll get you something to eat so he opened the door for me into my current role and i'm very very grateful for that
1: that's awesome. And he sounds like, the you know, the kind of leader anyone would want to work for, because when you are interviewing, it should be a conversation. It should be understanding about your passions and not like just a one-sided, you know, drill, or you feel like you're, you know, being interrogated, which is, I've heard that come through before. Yeah. Um, and another thing, another point that you made about what Katia does, which I think is fantastic, because I agree with that, with that philosophy of like one resume, really just trying to make sure that you have packed it with all of the experiences that you need um, and everything that comes from the different jobs when you see the various job descriptions because it is hard to keep track of it is. thousands and hundreds, oh, I tweak this for this and I tweak that. Um, there's another there's a website though that I, I told to uh, another group um, a few days ago. It's called Job Scan io. I thought it was Jobvite, but it's Job Vite is actually an applicant tracking system. It's yeah. Job Scan, and Job Scan is great for that. You can put your resume in, you put your, the job in, and it tells you kind of where you stand in relation to that job. Like if you if your resume would rise to you know the top of the queue, so to speak. Oh, yeah. um, Fantastic. Ozzy, here's one more question here, because we're at 54 minutes. Uh, Reginald wants to know, how do you get off the help desk and step into cyber? Mm,
2: okay. Um, I, I I do know a couple of people who, were, who started off at help desk into cyber, but I wasn't one of those people, you know, because, I mean, you look at me. I came off of, I was a chemical engineer while in school worked in the bank for a while so about three and a half years before coming you know doing my master's degree in cybersecurity. now imagine you were in that position you know in your mind is like at this point i'm not here for games i'm not playing and they're like hey guys this is what i have done i have a master's in cybersecurity, and then someone tells you start from help desk how would you feel okay because Someone advised, someone advised, I put up like an SOS one day and then someone was like, hey, maybe you should start from help desk. I was like, what? Like, do I look like I'm here to play? Like, do you even know my story? And I get where the advice came from. However, it was very, very impractical in my case. Number one being that I'm an international student. If I'm doing a help desk job, there is no way I'm ever gonna be able to justify that. That won't kick me out of status. You know, so how do you get off the help desk and step into cyber? So, from people that I have talked with, the help desk is actually an excellent role for you to, you know, gain insight into what your company does, especially with regards to IT and security. So, I mean, in your role, your role is very important. It gives you that insight. Since you're trying to get into cyber, a good way would be to 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 leverage, you know, the people at your company. Find out who the security people are. You know talk with them whenever you get any free time talk with them discuss with them tell them hey this is what i'm on the help there this is what i would like to do you know that's like the easiest way you're already in a company right i'm assuming that you're going to have wonderful people there so that's why i'm giving this advice if that is not your case you take you take you know laws into your hands reach out to people out there, you know, you can reach out to me. I might be able to help you. I might be able to connect connect you with one or two people who might be able to, you know, better advise you on that. So speak with them, you know, try to get in their face, like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys doing? Is there any little work I can do I can take up, you know, for you? Because every little thing you do, you know, gets you that much deeper into security. Um, One of my managers I used to work with, she actually started not from help desk, but from a totally unrelated field entirely. She was in field services. You know, but she puts herself out there as a person who was interested in, you know, what was going on in um, threat management and response, you know, and, the, and then something happened and then she's like, oh, my God, I need to see this. And then the way she gave it attention, the way she gave it all of the attention it needed, a couple of weeks after they're like, hey, she should probably get her on our team. And just like that, she got into InfoSec, you know, so I would advise the same thing for you. You know, so talk with people at like your company who are in cybersecurity. Like, try to get in their faces. What do you need done? What would you like to do? What are things I can do? You know, at my level, that would not, you know, compromise what you're doing. Get your foot in the door, and of course, you also want to be learning on the side. You know, showing some initiative. Like I said before, when asked about advice for students breaking into cybersecurity, so that's pretty much it.
1: I say ditto. Exactly. I don't have anything else to add. I think that's the exact correct advice. Everyone that we've spoken to, the people who we've seen become successful have been folks who have transitioned within their current companies. It's one of the easiest ways to do it for sure. So you're absolutely right. And nobody ever turns down free um, help. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. inside of a company. so like, you can I come help you? <laughs> so Reginald yeah. says, thanks so much for the insight. You okay. My kids are making a ton of noise. Let me um, <laughs> add in what uh, Xase says. I agree with that one. It's virtually impractical to tailor your resume. So he's talking about when Ozzy talks about creating all those resumes. It's impractical to tailor your resume to each job you're applying for. All you want is the manager to be willing to give you a shot and a lot of luck. Absolutely.
2: Just one shot, just one yes, and a lot of luck. And that's one of the reasons why I feel helpless when people are saying I'm trying to break in, because I mean, depending on who you are, it could be that, oh, you wrote this fantastic tool, you found like a gazillion bugs, and they're like, oh, this guy's a genius. Let's get him in. But that's like one out of maybe a hundred thousand people, you know. And So out of that pool of 100,000 people, it's like you're just trying to apply. You're just doing what you can. You're learning on your own, but you need just one person to give you a shot. And it's a lot of luck because I keep asking myself, what would have happened if, you know, as depressed as I was, I saw that row, that opening on LinkedIn. And I was like, I can't do this whole thing. You know what? I don't care. You know, just like that. And I probably won't be here today. You know, so it was, it's it's really, it comes down to luck. And that sucks because there should be a procedure for these things, but that's how it is. Anyway, but there are wonderful people, you know, like Renee, like myself and a couple of other people we know who are willing to, you know, help in whatever little way we can to provide insights whenever you need to try and get you in you know, cause there's a place for everyone. You know, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your degree. It doesn't matter if you are lit. It doesn't matter if whatever, (laughs) it doesn't matter. There's a place
1: for you here. We need all the help we can get (laughs) lit. That's so funny. Um, (laughs) You are an inspiration to so many people. I am so happy that we um, were, were able to get you on here to talk about your experience, especially for international students and folks that are coming because I know the struggle. I've seen it. I've been on, I personally have not experienced it, but I have been on the other side, um, you know, trying to see what we can do Um, And a lot of times from a recruiting perspective, hands are tied because that's way above, you know, when, when these companies make these decisions, it's just handed down to us like, hey, you could do this or you cannot. Um, so, being in that position, I know how much more challenging it is. So, you have your regular, um, you know, US citizens trying to get enrolled in the US. And then when you're an international student, it's so much more difficult. So, so much
2: more. So much, so okay. much
1: more. 450, yeah.
2: the numbers don't lie. 450 applications. Woof.
1: 450 <laughs> applications. And Ozzy did it. So you can too. That's the goal here. So, Ozzy, any final words of advice before you um before we leave?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I mean I sound like a broken record at this point, but the, the key here is persevere. Okay. So, I mean, don't believe those people who whatever age group you are, you, you may be in your late twenties, in your thirties, in your forties, your fifties, and then someone comes and tells you. I knew I was supposed to get into infosec because it was my passion from the time I was born. That is a freaking lie, okay? Because many years ago, people were doing security when security wasn't even a thing and they didn't even know what it was, you know? So no matter what age you are trying to make that switch, like it is never too late, okay? There is a place for you here. Like don't mind those guys who are trying to act. You know, if you haven't worked in IT for a while, if you haven't played with switches, if you don't have CVs, oh no, oh no, oh no. For those kind of people, that is all that they have going for them. But you probably have a lot of other things going on for you in your life. But InfoSec is that one extra thing that gets you excited, that is going to make your life fulfilling. So I would say for those of us trying to, those of us trying to get in, um persevere, be persistent, you know, and, Build this community of people around you who will be able to give you that encouragement. For me, it started with Katoria Henry, started with Katia Dean, you know, expanded my network. I had my family, my friends around me, you know, so you want to surround yourself with those people who will prop you up. Then when you get up there, do not forget to extend your hand down to help others. You know, you see far because you stand on the shoulders of giants. And that is definitely my case. That is the case of any other person who is in there, you know. So persist, persevere, reach out, send a message, even if it's to a random person. Some people don't do much on LinkedIn, but if you feel like you are dying, you're drowning, reach a handout. Someone might just reach out and pull you out of wherever you are.
1: Excellent advice. Excellent inspirational advice. So thank you so, so much for being here with us on this Sunday. Um, you know, 11 lives in 11 days. This is nuts. Uh, and we will see you tomorrow, folks, for another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. And tomorrow is Monday's with Dan. So yep. see you tomorrow.
0: Bye, Thanks, everybody.
1: Everyone. Bye, everyone